listening to the Carbon Base Podcast, your home base for everything you need to know in the fight against climate change. Hey, hi there, and welcome everyone for joining the Carbon Base Podcast. I'm your host, John O'Sullivan, as always. Elliot with me here too. How's it going? And uh, our special guest today is uh, Piotr Kurzin. So Piotr hails from both Britain and Russia. He's a graduate from Johns Hopkins with an MA in Strategic uh, Studies in International Economics. He operates the website MyGlobalMuse.com and the Instagram account TheEcoExpat where he's been getting a, a fair bit of traction the last year and enacting his vision of, you know, being able to produce content that inspires and creates informed change uh, in people's travel and lifestyle, making it more sustainable. So he also works as a full-time climate change specialist, focusing on sorry, uh, policy and strategy as part of the World, uh, the World Bank right now. And he's also worked on environmental migration and climate change refugees as part of the UN and Amnesty International. So thank you for joining us, Peter. And uh, maybe we can start off by you know, talking about your climate journey, you know, how did you get here? What inspired you? Why, uh, why, why work in sustainability? Yeah, well, thank you very, uh, very much for having me. It's, uh, it's very exciting to be here. Um, well, that's quite a, that's always a difficult question. Who are you? What do you want to do with your life? Or when, when do you come from? Um, for me, I've always been interested in uh, international relations generally. Um, I'm, I'm a product of the Cold War, meaning that my, uh, my parents met in, in the Soviet Union in the 80s um, and then through a very sort of you know sequential uh, specific set of events um, my father was able to leave the uh, USSR to, to join my mother in the UK so I was uh, yeah if the Berlin Wall hadn't collapsed and the Soviet Union hadn't collapsed then I wouldn't be here and I feel that that sort of stems my interest oh. into uh, uh, international relations um, and then that sort of also interested me in security and, and, and generally as I grew up I got interested in, in how the big world works and uh, as I travelled around it with my parents a little bit I noticed all the you know, beautiful nature that we have and the, and the natural side of, um, of the planet. Um, not to sound too metaphysical I suppose but uh, yeah it just I, uh, I really enjoyed just learning about who we are and why we're here sort of thing and over time that's, that's uh, been reflected in what I've studied, what I've wanted to do, uh, and I've become more and more interested in like the transnational issues, you know, of which climate change is the uh, is the obvious one, um, and that's pushed me over time towards climate security. Um, I've always found security interesting, but then how climate and, and more transnational issues like terrorism mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. COVID, the most obvious example of, of a massive security threat to the, uh, to the world and, and state of the world. Uh, and, and you know how we can how that impacts on people's welfare in fragile countries, developing countries, and, and, and their human rights. So um, mm -hmm. I've done a, it's quite a multitude of different things, but uh, yeah. And my website just sort of blossomed out of COVID again. Mm -hmm. Personal project. I was lacking things to do at home, so I, I I started a website, and then I thought, how can I make an interesting angle about myself or blogging and and that sort of thing? And then I was like, well. I, I live abroad, I want to try and be eco-friendly, but I also have to travel and be well, an expat, so how, how can I combine the two? And so sort of my global muse was uh, was my mother's idea, actually, of the title, which I like. Um, and yeah, here we are. So it's uh, every day is a new adventure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. I'll take it. And, and, you know, clearly from your blog, which I recommend our, our listeners go and check out, um, you know, you're, you're very well-traveled, uh, and, and I guess first I actually want to say um, the, the problems that you're trying to solve, you know, climate change, uh, international security, they sound like pretty small problems, right? You know, uh, you know <laughs> simple, easy, easy solutions. Um, no, but, but seriously, uh, it seems that these, these problems are impossibly complex. Um, 
And you know, I, I you you mentioned in your blog you've you've visited uh, scores of countries. You know, I think over eighty. Um, I guess I'm wondering from your from your vast experiences, uh, what is kind of the central theme, or what is what is a common thread that you've noticed that connects uh, these different you know climate change, climate security uh, problems that you're trying to work on? Political self-interest, um, short-termism, lack of lack of uh, education. I would uh, not to sound too morbid, but uh, it usually, I mean, realistically, what what do we have? We have the human capital. We have the 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 awareness. We have the technology, even really existing. We have the, the financial backing, you know, to all the revenues in in most places to be able to tackle. Um, the majority of climate change, you know, uh, the, the biggest two countries account for almost 50% of admissions, China and the United States, of which China mm -hmm. is almost 30%. So it, it, as much as, you know, Pacific Island states or sub-Saharan Africa uh, or Pakistan recently went carbon uh, met its climate goals for the 2030 this year. So, you know, countries are making an effort, but they're all kind of minuscule unless we get, you know, the few... Uh, historically polluted countries to do something um, and again that all comes back down to political self-interest or just mm. self-interest generally so um, yeah I, I think um, particularly in developing countries where you lack a, a democracy or more authoritarian regimes uh, say Russia or, or um, I mean China's an unusual one because they actually are trying to make a difference despite having quite an authoritarian regime but um, yeah they're you know that's all self-interest because they, they the developing countries want to retain power so you get mm -hmm. this more corrupt um you know sort of what's the word um cronious cronyism or um just yeah and self-interest and so they put you know short-term power grabbing uh motives before a longer term collective interest of the welfare of their country population and environment so um sorry to sound so negative about that. no so that's exactly what we were thinking so i'm glad you confirmed it um, you know, you mentioned that you worked on the, the Global Commission for Adaptations report. It's called uh, Adapt Now, a global call for leadership on climate resilience. And now I'm wondering, you know, could you explain a bit about uh, your work on that? And, you know, there was quite an exhaustive report and I'd imagine it uh, took a lot of work and a lot of data points. So um, did it leave you feeling hopeful or, you know, is humanity woefully unprepared for the coming climate crisis? Because this is something we explored a little bit in our last podcast as well, is that it's almost like it's here yes, we need to do something to stop it, but it's coming. So let's start adapting and, and, and building resiliency and try to mitigate the damage, right? Now we're in mitigation mode rather than, you know, response mode. So um, uh, yeah, explain a bit about the report and how were you left feeling after that work? Sure. Um, well, I was a tiny, tiny cog in a, in a, in a, in a frankly um, humongous uh, report. It was the, the Global Commission on Adaptation is, uh, is, was founded by Bill Gates and Ban Ki-moon who is the eighth uh, secretary general for the United Nations. So uh, big fish. Um, and I just was lucky enough to land my, um, initially an internship in that, and then they extended it uh, to be full-time consultancy because uh, I love what I was doing. They, uh, they think I did a good job. And, and, and frankly, um, I, the, the climate crisis is, it's here. It's not coming, it's not being, got, you know, we're in it. Um, there's no way to really sort of uh, play it down and not trying to be scaremongering but uh, you know we are in a climate crisis the Australian do you remember the Australian bushfires of January yeah. no. feels like yeah. uh, that feels like a time ago but after yeah. everything else this year um, 
um, something I read just earlier in the week was about the rainforests. Uh, Bolsonaro is, uh, you know, his regime is now just making uh, the highest rate of uh, rainforest um, uh, up uh, deforestation yeah. since 2008. Assimilator so. died to the indigenous peoples in the process, he said, you know, like. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, again, that comes back to, to the previous question of, you know, one specific individual uh, can, can completely uh, uphold something. Uh, with the report, uh, it did give me optimism in the sense of how just innovative humans are. As I said, the greatest thing, one of the greatest things that we have is our human capital. Um, I'm constantly reading of yet about a yet another um, uh, initiative or project or idea that could potentially improve the uh, the way that you know we can tackle climate change emissions. Etc. I mean, even just think of eco. Uh, is it Eco Asia? The um, I forget how to pronounce their name. The, uh, the uh the search engine. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time you search for something in their search engine, you plant a tree. Oh. I mean, that's a really cool, nifty idea, and, mm-hmm. I, and I love that. So, um, yeah, and then another report that came out today was saying that we are actually on target to maybe meet our 2.1 uh, degree increase goals. So, like, to min- like optimistic scenarios, because China's announced, you know, to try and hold its emissions by net zero in 2060. Mm-hmm. Uh, the United States is going to be rejoining, hopefully, as of uh, January 20th, if we don't have the squatter remaining in uh, in the White House. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so um, <clears throat> I, I do hold some degree of optimism, but we have to retain that sense of urgency and that, you know, we're in it now. We need to, we need to get on with priorit- prioritizing it as our, as our proper, um, uh, you know, not not sort of. Oh, it's something we can do in, in our off time. It's uh, it's it's you know, imperative. Right. Um, and you know, so the report uh, the report is pretty grim. Um, you know, especially on the kind of the human element. Uh, I think it mentioned that uh, climate change can result in over a hundred million people, uh, you know, being forced into into poverty, into extreme poverty by twenty thirty, mm-hmm. um, among other you know disastrous effects. Uh, I, I also know that, you know, you know, you've done some work on small island developing states and, you know, obviously there's this, this disp- disproportionate uh, impact of climate change on the most vulnerable populations of the world as opposed to the wealthier nations. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious to see, to hear from you whether or not uh, this is another element uh, in, in, you know, your experiences. You know, you mentioned kind of this short-term versus long-termism. Uh, political self-interest, how those exacerbated this problem of, of climate inequality in your experience? Sure. Well, <clears throat> well, that's a talk. We could have our own podcast just about that, that question. Um, I mean, l- let's put it in, 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 in um, real time as well, which is that COVID has already offset the World Bank and IMF produced a report a few months back about how COVID itself has already effectively undone 20 years worth of poverty reduction in one space in a, in a space of a year because of the uh inability for uh develop uh, basically you know colleagues of mine and, and friends who work in the field have had to all they had to they had to get out because of covid so the on i know it sounds cliche but the on the ground um uh presence that really was able to you know educate get across the you know the need for 
uh, improvements to poverty standards, you know, gender equality, uh, things like that has gone. So we're now seeing a reduction in people being able to understand what it means to be more sustainable, to be more, to make the efforts to be, to get out of their subsistence, their poverty traps. So COVID itself has already it's it's you know i wrote a road article the other the other month and it was you know covid is our immediate pressing issue but climate change is the immediate is the longer term pressing issue and so uh, i feel that there is i mean there there is a potential uh, sort of combining the other question again hopefully i'm not sort of uh, getting the two confused too much but um no but um and as has been said by many people is covid as negative as weird as it sounds or presents the best opportunity for us to uh reorientate our priorities to reorientate where what we focus on so never has there been a better opportunity as countries are having to rebuild their economies uh rebuild uh, their labor uh what op opportunities there are for, for people to work you know mm -hmm. shift from the uh, existing oil driven or you know fossil fuels uh, embedded economies and shift to greener technologies um, you know, right. there really is opportunity for solar, um, hydroelectric, um, more hydroelectric, wind, you know, all these buzzwords. Um, there really is this opportunity for countries to uh, to do so. The UK is, is one of the leaders in, in that area. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and so I feel that there is the opportunity. But when it comes to developing countries, again, yeah, you mentioned disproportionate is, is the key word because unfortunately it also goes back to the historical, you know, well, colonialism and imperialism because certain countries got ahead of others and were able to develop better and now they're having to they're holding developing countries to unfair like well you've got to go green now and it's like developing countries like india are like well you didn't do that so why the hell do we need to do that so uh there's this there's this um uh tension this conflict uh, resistance from certain developing states to uh to you know adhere to these climate standards because they're like well why should we mm -hmm. the uk is the I think it was overtaken by the United States eventually, but the UK is, you know, the second largest, biggest emitter in history based mm -hmm. on its historical. Um, China's the most now, but Western states. And, and then there's the, you know, that, that justice question, because, you know, you guys use that <coughs> oil to build up, you know, the industrial nation and power that you were. So why is it that these other countries might have to be, you know, uh, you know, take one, take it on the Achilles heel and be forced to do far more expensive you know, that's always the argument, right? Well, you guys used it to get big. Why can't we? But um, yeah, absolutely. But I, but you know what? China, what do they do? Invest more R&D in renewable energy than any other country, you know, combined. So they're, they're doing the work for it. So I do appreciate it because you know what? I, I, when I've worked in international development, I, I deeply reflect on the question of, you know, who are we to say, you know, given that we, you know, we did profit off of our, that same method. Um, now you mentioned, you know, in our previous conversation that your father was in, you know, the Russian gas business and, you know, you were sort of the, <laughs> the antithesis to, to a lot of what he's done in life. And I was just wondering, you know, can you elaborate a bit on, you know, what those dinner conversations are like? Cause I'd imagine there's a few people listening that, uh, have also been through this, you know, uh, just different worlds, different passions. And, you know, how do you, do you, do your dad get along about it? Do you argue about it? Let, let, I wonder what that's like. Sorry, I accidentally just pressed the mute button. I didn't hear any of that. Should we go to the next question? Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, no, the awkwardness of the uh, slide is um, it. Uh, it was interesting. Yeah. It's a classic word to use in these uh, in these moments. It's. Um, I would say that my father is a nuclear physicist. Um, so he he is. He's not an idiot. Mm -hmm. uh, he he's not just a sensationalist who you know denies. He's not a climate denier. 
Um, and I would say he's a climate skeptic. I, I don't really have a way to do he. The way that we've we've discussed it in the past is um, the, the Earth has you know cycles of of major environmental uh, change. You know, figure the ice ages thing, mm -hmm. um, um, and also the sun with its solar flares and, and major solar activities there have an unprecedented um, you know disproportionate impact on the on the temperature and general climate of the Earth. So. We certainly are, climate change is a thing, and we are certainly doing climate change. But what I think people who don't over-sensationalize it, that sort of, we, you know, single-handedly change the face of the earth forever. For us, yes, Mother Mother Earth would be fine. You know, if we, if we, if we, it takes one volcanic eruption to, um, I think by um, even at Mount Etna, which isn't even that major, Mm -hmm. um, or Mount, well, the, the, the eruption in 1918, Mount St. Helena, that was, well, that one eruption produced the same as all emissions that we've had, you know, since the Industrial Revolution. So, as I say, it takes one volcanic eruption and it's just like, so, you know, we are definitely doing something, but when we say climate change is a major threat, it is, but for us, and that, and that, that for me is an attitude issue that we, a, a perspective change that I think people need to have. We, we look at everything in terms of how we can, what we can get from nature, mm -hmm. instead of looking at nature itself. And then, and, and, and I, I think that, you know, that minor perspective shift will, would, mm -hmm. would, uh, would help. So when it comes to my father and I, we, we, we actually don't disagree on certain elements. He, I mean, he does work in natural gas and, and is Russian. So yeah, that, that, that <laughs> we do have problems with. When he, when he sends me a video of his latest project and he's, I was like, how many, miles square space of trees did you knock down oh about three <laughs> yeah it's not it's not yeah i mean he he says he says certain things like to appease me like oh well we you know we made sure the nature was out of the area first <laughs> oh yeah yeah okay yeah, so we, we sure burn it down <laughs> bears and the tigers went around so <laughs> i mean i i have to say as well though i if i if it weren't for him uh, and, and my family i wouldn't be where i am to a certain extent mm -hmm. so you know our conversations have been tense. Uh, there's been less of them in the past few years because I haven't really been at home. But um, it, it's about trying to encourage, you know, compromise or amicability and, and, and reach their certain consensus so that you can, if we don't agree, then you can't move forward. It certainly exactly. helps when you're, when you're talking to a scientific mind, right, that rather than a sensationalist. Because I'd imagine most of these conversations on the dinner table are quick talking points and whatever YouTube video most people watch, right? Not a lot of people have the... Uh, the they're not the nuclear physicists, so that certainly helps. Right? Yeah, he, he he grounds it in reality, which I think yeah. you know, doesn't doesn't go all extinction rebellion on us. So, uh, <laughs> uh, and and something uh, I think also that kind of ties together, you know, what you were just talking about uh, with your earlier point about how COVID kind of has undone um, all of you know all the great progress we've made over the last twenty years is that it's a lot easier to break a house than to build one. Um, yeah. And to, to your kind of follow-up point about, you know, having to bring in people together to fight climate change, uh, if we make this about, you know, the environmentalists versus industry and corporations, you know, I, I worry that we're, we're just simply not going to, you know, get done what needs to be done to fight climate change. And so this, this you know, this notion of how do you bring in different people together, you know, for example, uh, in the reports that you wrote with the UN, the UN collaborates with industry all the time. Um, and for example, the, the fossil industry uh, will will need to be collaborating with the environmental movement on things like, 
CCUS, on things you know like carbon management, uh, on you know how do you how do you capture CO two from flu flu gases? How do you how do you make the industry more efficient? Uh, especially also for countries that are now in their uh, in their uh, critical development phases like Indonesia, Vietnam, India, that are investing heavily in you know these these uh, these coal-fired power plants and natural gas. Um, you know the, the fossil industry is going to have to kind of lead the charge with the environmental movement. Um, you know to make sure that there's a just transition, to make sure that there's a an efficient transition. So I'm curious to hear from your perspective. You know how what is the best way work with industry uh, to make sure that that this happens that they don't feel like they're being alienated because if we say for example to the you know oil and gas companies of the world uh, you know we don't want any part of you you know you have your corner and we have mine we're simply not going to be able to fight climate change so how do you bring them into the fold how do you how do you demonstrate to them that, that they're just as much a part they need to be just as much a part of the solution as they have been a part of the problem yeah, that's uh, no, that's um, that's interesting. I, it's, <clears throat> I guess I could uh, I could frame it from my, what I've encountered through my personal experience with the with the should we say I like to put it in two different camps like the the the, the, the industrial the UN policy you know side and then the more uh, just day to day you know sustainability on Instagram people who aren't in such a sort of um, you know. Uh, professional specific world you know people who are just trying to make the difference by uh, by you know eating greener or, or reducing their you know how much they drive or something like that because for me that's one of the biggest things I think if you talk about big emitters 71 companies are you know the majority of emitters and um, this is something I see often on, on social media and my Instagram pages you know excuse me influencers or eco influencers or whatever they, they call themselves you know um, they often use this statistic and, and it is true that you know no matter how much we individually try to reduce a carbon footprint unless these mega multinationals actually do something about it much like in uh, specific countries as well um you're not going to see massive improvement because it's just so disproportionate um but then that brings me on to my, my other point which is like we've got to make it more accessible um more um understandable not not to sound like it, people are idiots but in the sense of when the UN produces a report or the World Bank, it's pretty technical. It's not very relatable. And so that's kind of what also inspired my desire to do this EcoExpat blog thing, which is to take these kind of reports. Because um, everyone, you know, can write an article about the 10 best ways to be sustainable. But I wanted to try and, you know, make these more technical reports or sort of analytical stuff and make it a little bit more relatable to people who are in smaller, you know, SMEs or something, small medium enterprises, because I, I think that there is still much more that can be done there to, to bridge this gap in, in, in communication. Um, as I say, because the UN, it, I don't understand half the time what they're talking about. And then they use right. absurdly verbose and ostentatious language. And it's like, what, 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 what's your call to action? What's your actual point here? What, how do we encourage more industries to, to, to get up and take heed? You know? Um, the other mm -hmm. thing that I would also mention is that uh, a large number of larger firms do engage in greenwashing. Um, so BP produced, I think it was in July, August, they produced a poll or, or, or a track on Twitter. And it was like, check how much your carbon emission footprint is. And, it, and it's this, it, and, and, and it had a huge backlash against some more observant people who were like, 
you'll be you're British Petroleum. You're one of the biggest emitters in the world. What are you talking about? Our individual footprints. How about you look at yourself first? <laughs> um, so it, it's again, it comes back down to this individualization of of, of climate responsibility. So the, the emphasis is on the individual to make all the difference. And actually, it's just a handful of companies. So we need we need these bigger companies to get talking with the UN, but also stop trying to impose upon the individual that it's our responsibility to. I mean, it is a bit awkward for British Petroleum to be like, well, now we can't engage in fossil fuel so it's it, you know how we're going to transition in some of these firms to be greener is, is difficult but um it's definitely a conversation that needs to be had mm-hmm. right and, and so i actually think that relates a lot to kind of the work that we're doing at carbon base right you, you mentioned how un reports are not super accessible to everybody um yeah. and at the end of the day we're not going to solve climate change unless we get corporations businesses governments and individuals uh, galvanized to take climate action and something that we've, you know, uh, we've, we've kept at the core of what we do at Carbon Base is making sure that it's, it's not just accessible, but it's also, it's easy and it's efficient, it's effective um, for anybody, whether you're a person or a business or a corporation or uh, a government, um, we want to make it easy and accessible to, to fight climate change. Yeah, for sure. No, that that's um that's what I, I when I encountered you guys, I was very excited by that because I, I think it's a very novel, uh, innovative idea. You know, um, simply to give an idea of a startup or a, a large existing firm the idea of their individual carbon footprint, or or how their you know members of their community and and and, and uh, workforce could be greener. Because then you get this. It's sort of collectively changing through individual. Action. If that makes sense, because if you do it all in together, mm-hmm. then you'll build it into one collective shift, which is, it, it, yeah, it's a pretty cool idea. Um, and I, yeah, I, uh, I think that's a good way to go, uh, for sure. What, uh, what would you suggest, you know, given, in terms of the resiliency and adaptability of climate change, like, what do you think all countries should be doing, like, right off the bat? What's the high level, um, you know, thing that should be done to sort of mitigate that risk? And what do you think could be done you know, at a community level, um, let's say on a coastal region, you know, in the, in the, on the Eastern seaboard of the U S. Oh, Eastern seaboard of the U S. Yeah. Well, I believe that's where you're, you're near there, right? I am. I'm, I'm sitting, uh, 10 minutes from my office in Norbank, but I haven't been there. So it's, it's all, uh, it's all, uh, rather weird being in DC with the pandemic, but, uh, mm. I would say you could split that into two things, short term and long term. Yeah. Long time is education, education, awareness, um, enlightenment, you know, learn, um, particularly for the, the, the younger, you know, our generation um, or, or even younger, you know, generation Zers, are they called? Um, or the TikTok generation, as they're being mm-hmm. called, I think, um, is, uh, is, you know, they are the most, if anything, the most educated in, in the history of, of, um, of um, <laughs> yeah, of, of, of society and you know and people are more and more aware of just how important it is to be green um and and so i think you know if we keep doing that keep plugging this even older generations who are more you know set in their ways or believe that you know more skeptical uh it can can shift and um when it comes to the short term uh, it could be commit to cheap viable solutions one example in, in and it was another report that was produced uh, earlier this year is um, plant trees scientifically proven and then fact checked and you know backed up by the UNPCC I think that's the acronym 
um, that planting trees, reforestation is the cheapest yet such a good way to go about addressing, if you talk about climate change emissions particularly. So by, um, by, by, by taking them all down in, in the Amazon rain, uh, rainforest and the basin, you are literally, they call it the carbon sink for a reason. Um, so I think, you know, if, if you're looking specifically on the east and the seaboard um, and in, um, in, the, in, in the US, I, I think that it's uh, encouraging, um, well, again, education, I suppose. It, it, it's difficult with, with, with areas that are so well built up uh, because you cannot build in the green technology and infrastructure as you develop. So developing countries in certain ways are at an advantage if they if they obviously can get the the, the assets and revenue to, to be able to do so. But they can do, you know they can incorporate the green tech as they go along, expanding their cities, expanding. So uh, for develop developed countries, it's more about um, uh, yeah mitigation, which, mm. which you know we can look at carbon capture, which is quite expensive, but the technology is improving. Uh, countries like uh, DC, you know, encouraging uh, stop driving into the city. Mm -hmm. I mean, DC's population doubles by, by doubles, yeah, from six seven hundred thousand to one point two million per day, and and that's not me exaggerating. Everyone comes into the Pentagon, everyone comes into Congress, into yeah. into the major consultancy. So that stop driving in, use public transport. Um, the United States needs to grossly. Uh, improve its public transport system. Mm -hmm. I, 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 took the, I took the Amtrak um, just the other day coming back. Um, oh my good lord. I mean, it's not the worst, but it's, it's a monopoly system. <laughs> Again, this is all embedded in historical you know, mm -hmm. development stuff, so it's not that easy to just click your yeah. fingers and it changes. But the US particularly needs to invest in public infrastructure and, 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 and public goods. It's been um, infrastructure no, week for the last four years. What are you talking about? last four years for the last for the last few decades if, if we're being totally honest if you get me started on on the amtrak i mean we'll probably be here for another you know 30 30 minutes or so wow i've got plenty um, of time so <laughs> let's let's go down it um, um but yeah no i i, I agree and uh, one of the things that i think is really interesting uh that you know people have been talking about when it comes to president-elect biden's uh climate plan is some people have talked about a a another uh what is it? Railroad revolution, or mm -hmm. um, okay, you know, we're we're one of the few uh, of these, you know, sort of massive industrialized countries that doesn't have any kind of high speed rail. Um, so you know, when I was living in China, if I wanted to go from uh, from Beijing down to uh, Yangshuo, it, it on the on the bullet train, it took me maybe a few hours. That same trip uh, on let on a U.S. train on the Amtrak <coughs> took me, you know, somewhere between eight and ten. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also there's you know efficiency questions when you use rail you can electrify it much easier than you would uh, with uh, with uh, internal combustion engines for you know individual transport uh, so totally agree you know we definitely need a a, a transport revolution here in the U.S. Um, and I and I think we're kind of on the cusp of that we're we're we're, we're getting ready for one uh, especially if you look at you know Tesla Tesla stock price uh rising um if you look at kind of across the board these other uh ev companies and uh, other innovations in this kind of technology uh we're definitely about to see this kind of green revolution um I'm, I'm a bit of a matter of political will though right 
You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, well, exactly. Yeah, the other thing is just we need to get less politicized in our choices. It's, it's never popular to spend $3 billion on a project that, you know, you'll be five years out of office by the time it's completed, right? So a bit of an issue and that, there. And that's that short-termism versus long-termism uh, that, that Piotr uh, mentioned in the beginning, in the beginning of, our, of, our, of our episode today. And just to kind of pivot, uh, you know, you also mentioned terrestrial trees as this, you know, solution for this kind of grassroots uh, solution for climate change. And, you know, in my, in my view, uh, I think trees are great, but if you can also have, you know, not just mitigation, but uh, adaptation combined together, those solutions going hand in hand, um, especially for developing countries, um, you know, I think those are kind of the best long-term and sh best long-term and short-term solutions. You, you mentioned what, what are we doing to address short-term, long-term problems? So, for example, not just terrestrial trees, but uh, planting mangroves, seagrass uh, in coastal communities, especially those that are uh, the most impacted uh, by climate change, especially in developing countries, um, small island developing states, planting mm -hmm. mangroves, seagrass, they, they have the benefit of sequestering a lot more carbon than uh, terrestrial trees, but they also have this added resiliency effect. So mangroves, for example, uh, reduce reduce energy in, in extreme waves, uh, can help coastal communities be more resilient in the face of climate disasters. Um, so I, those are the kinds of solutions that I'm really excited Erosion, to see. biodiversity, they're quite exactly. good. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so kind of as, as we're starting to close this out, um, you know, those are, those are solutions that countries can do, that, that nations, cities, uh, even companies, if they, if they so choose. But, you know, for me as an individual, I, I'm not going to go out and plant 100 mangroves. So I, I'm wondering in your eyes, you know, and, and I know you talk about this a little bit in your blog, but what can individuals do? You know, what can the average person do that maximizes both their time, their effort, their resources to fight climate change, whether it comes to resiliency, adaptation. I'd be curious to hear your, your thoughts about that. Yeah, no, that's, that's really, um, that's a really good pivot. Um, I would say that in the Biden elect thing, just as a quick tangent, but like we have the resources again, like uh, I read an interesting statistic, but if the money that had been spent in both the Trump and elected Biden campaigns had been spent, we could have eradicated homelessness in the US many times over. <sighs> so it's like, you know, we have the money again to, to invest in in the in the areas that we want but but it you know it, it's that political self-interest or priorities so when it comes to sustainability and, and what individuals could do I, I think it's you know continuously hold those in positions of power to account mm -hmm. particularly in the western world or, or you know liberal democracies are where you know we have that that democratic uh luxury of being able to vote and, and put it to power who we want um <laughs> they do they do respond albeit you know, resistantly, um, with resistance rather, um, uh, to to, to uh, public pressure. So people, you know, uh, we are more and more people do want sustainable uh, solutions, greener technology, and, and as I say, COVID represents a, a unique opening to do so. Mm -hmm. So individuals should hold uh, people in public office to account. Uh, again, education, people should educate those around them which is what I'm trying to do, which is what you're trying to do, which is why we're here having these, you know, fantastic, vital uh, discussions. Um, I think that people should uh, look at how they eat, uh, beef, 
is a notoriously like single individual thing that makes a huge, huge carbon emission impact. Like, I'm I'm a flexitarian, so I do still occasionally eat meat, but I, I if I eat steak, it's maybe once a month, and it's a proper you know enjoyed moment. And I and I and I you know my my carbon footprint is reduced significantly because of that. Um, flying is a huge individual issue, uh, probably the biggest one. I try my best to offset. Um, uh, my emissions, you know, so I, I, I um, many companies do allow you, you can use something called uh, Atmosphere or carbontax.org. These are two examples where you can invest or, or um, pay um, into schemes that, you know, offset your carbon emissions um, mm -hmm. through sort of grassroots initiatives. So, so things like mm -hmm. that, taking the time to do your research, how, how, you, how you could go about it. And also, lastly, I mean, and this isn't meant to sound like a cop-out, but not to be too hard on yourself. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm a perfectionist in many ways. Um, and one of my favorite quotes in sort of getting into the sustainability sphere, if you like, is we don't need one person being perfectly sustainable. We need everybody being imperfectly sustainable. Uh, if, I think so, that's a really, I've never heard that before. That's a beautiful quote though. I think that's bang on. Yeah. Um, you know, we need everyone doing their bit to, to, to reduce their, you know, even if it's developing your own compost, I can't <laughs> do that because I don't have any plants and I'm, I'm trying quite transient. So I don't, you know, I don't live at home. I'm quite, uh, I have to move around. So, um, but I, I do my, because I commit uh, carbon emissions through flying, flying, excuse me. I, uh, I do the, you know, the atmosphere. Um, um, so yeah, I, I think there's just, you know, looking in personally into your life in your mm -hmm. household and your neighborhood and thinking about how you can, you know, do something specific to your situation. I really appreciate that because you definitely, <laughs> sometimes there's a lot of purists out there and you're automatically alienating, you know, the people you need if there, if there is an element of judgmentalism, right? Like if you're judging somebody about, mm. you know, not get, uh, you know, using a plastic bag, then we're not going to be able to have that conversation. So I, I like yeah, your first point was let's hold people in power accountable because at the end of the day, we need business government and individual life choices all working together to really put a dent in this thing. So in our personal lives, I think it's all about finding, you know, at carbon base our whole point is how, how can we incentivize people other than just feeling good you know how can companies you know provide you with a reward a discount how can we provide you with a you know a trip and experience where you feel the need to you know pull out your money and we can mobilize some capital to actually support projects on the ground they're doing phenomenal work and taking carbon out of the air right so i i really enjoy that the fact that you know you can you got to keep an open line of communication with everyone and we got to start finding new and innovative ways to make people spend the time because that's what it is. It's, it's just time consuming to, um, you know, make these act to actively change something in your life, right. Or your habits or your, so find an incentive. Yeah, no, and I love, I love John's point, you know, and this is a shameless plug for carbon base, but you know, <laughs> it, it makes it accessible to anybody, right? Not everybody can afford. So for example, if there's some people that fly for work, but uh, can't afford to offset all of their emissions, um, so how do you, how do you give them that extra carrot? Um, yeah. they can't, they can't afford to not fly. They can't afford to not eat meat or they can't afford to not eat fast food. How, how do you, how do you reduce, but then how do you offset the rest? Um, yeah. and that's something that we've also really, uh, kind of taken extra care to make sure that we incorporate into our mission at carbon base. And, uh, you know, at carbon base, we, we look to kind of our own, you know, sustainability heroes are, you know, the, these leaders and, climate action uh, and we try to emulate what they've done. Uh, so I'd be curious to hear from your perspective and all your travels, you've obviously uh, gathered a lot of really amazing experiences. 
but are, are there any, you know, companies or people that, you know, you really look up to in your sustainability journey? Cool. Um, well, I mean, cliche, but David Attenborough um, mm -hmm. comes to mind immediately. Um, I think he has been, I mean, he's more of a naturalist, but uh, naturist, wait, wait, not the other one. Um, but uh, he, he's so um, iconic. And I remember growing up with his, um, my mother is part of the, uh, the Royal Geographical Society in, in London, which is what he, he's also a part of. Um, and I, I went to a talk when I was five, six, so what, wow. 20, 20 years ago. Um, and he was there and it was about, I think he just released one of his series, Life of Something. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and I got to meet him. I mean, he was walking past and me being six with shamelessness, just all his shirt and flag. Uh, you're, you know, you're so cool or something, you know, how <laughs> kids are. Um, and, and, and yeah, he, um, wonderful man. Uh, other, other leaders. I mean, I do respect Greta uh, Thunberg for her, her passion and, 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 and the ability and what she's done to get children to really be like, Hey, adults, mm -hmm. stop screwing around. Like you're going to ruin our, our lives. Um, I, I haven't always agreed with how she's done it. Um, but I do thoroughly respect what she's, you know, the, the, the ship, like, you know, if she hadn't been in the past couple of years, climate change would be at the, at the front, but it wouldn't be at the forefront. So mm -hmm. um, I certainly hold her up there as someone I, 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 I think about. Um, and also, I mean, again, I don't necessarily agree with his policies per se, but Bernie Sanders, AOC, people, certain individuals who do make it their, their business to continuously push the, um, the climate agenda. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and make it, you know, keep it in the minds of... of and they, they weather the storm for that too, you know? Like yeah, they're, they they're do. taking the brunt of it. And I, I think some of the re reasons that we may not agree with some of the things they do is because it's so front and center, because there's an active, you know, campaign to destroy the figureheads of this movement, right? And I, I always get a kick out of um, people saying, oh, this is just big green business, you know, with a ploy to fool you into climate change. I'm like, okay, so who had more money? All of these renewable energy companies that have been around for 10 years or is it you know big oil and and you know, big industry and, that, that yeah. actually have you know 175 lobbyists on the hill you know so yeah for sure no so, that's a, that's so much the point i think like reactions that have been to the green new deal you know thinking it's oh my god it's a socialist agenda to you know uh what it's like it, a 14-day document a, making some suggestions it's yeah, exactly <laughs> it's an outline it, it's a it's a it's a it's a yeah, it's not, it's a skeleton. Yeah. It's, there's no substance Nothing. there. It's not like we're going to take away all your money and make you go and live in Hobbit, you they're, know. You can't fly and they're going to take your burgers. That's what they said. <laughs> all they were saying was at campaigns to, you know, reduce meat consumption because of its yeah, impact. Yeah, for sure. Ridiculous. No. So there's, there's several people. That's, that's a good question. I need to, I need to find my climate environmental icons. Our, uh, our, our last guest had a good point when she said, um, you know, maybe you pick and choose certain things that you love about multiple people and then build, build one whole sort of, you know, thing you want to emulate in this world. So you just listed several and there's probably likely different things you like about each, right? For sure. Absolutely. No, it's, um, I, I think it's just, uh, as I say, it's, it's not one thing that anyone will be perfectly uh, skilled at, you know, how it's not like one person is like, this is how we should be climate sustainable. And, and then therefore we all follow that their lead exactly i mean i again on the instagram side it's very interesting i um you see some much more 
hardcore environmentalists, um, one of which called uh, David Attenborough an eco-fascist, which I thought was interesting. Um, I, I won't go into the details because it, it didn't really, what's the word, resonate with me. Um, but uh, they were suggesting that he's part of a, you know, conspiracy to be very, to ensure that, you know, white capitalism and, and all this sort of is retained as, you know, it's a power, you know, it's all yeah, yeah. conspiracy stuff. And it's like, wait, wait what? The guy's, uh, never mind. Yeah, so, so I, I feel... <laughs> a 94-year-old e ecologist. <laughs> exactly. No, so, so going back to one of the points that Elliot mentioned earlier, you know, we, we've got to stop infighting mm -hmm. and accept that, you know, we're never all going to 100% agree, but what is the big thing they're all after here? Climate, longevity, uh, wellness, wellness for everybody, uh, adaptation, mitigation, you know, all these things, you know, let's stop, stop pointing fingers. Yes, okay, we need to hold those accountable to some degree, but, you know, we, we have to look forward, not backwards, and, mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, move progressively together to, to really make that change and, and sustainable change. So I went off for the preach there. But, uh, it's, uh, I'm it's frustrating it. sometimes. I feel like, yeah, no, I like that. Very frustrating. Uh, and something we like to do, you know, before we end out the podcast is uh, we'd like to ask our guests, you know, what is your recommended media reading of the week? Are there any podcasts, books, movies? um that that you read in the last week or two that uh that really resonated with you that you recommend our users uh that our users consume uh, i actually just finally got around to watching the david attenborough uh the documentary that he just put out i i really enjoyed it um also a big fan of, of david david attenborough um but i'd be curious to hear what what your what your recommended media is oh that's really difficult um I read so much about it from my work, again, going into that technical stuff, mm -hmm. um, which makes it kind of, I mean, Chambers Plug, you should check out my website, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, some, some great personal perspectives there. I mean, The Economist, as, as, as weird as it sounds, they are quite good. They do have quite an interesting angle because they put it in the realms, again, of, of pragmatic, you know, how can we actually go about reducing the, the economic impacts on climate change. Um, Bloomberg is quite good, again, if you want to get a business thing. I know this sounds completely like not what you were expecting, but sometimes reading it from the least obvious angle can give you a, an interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I think that in terms of, I mean, alternative, well, that's a really good question, actually. I'm trying to think of some recent things I've, I have. I can't, I can't think of any off the top of my head, actually. Um, it's like that question we asked in the beginning of the of the podcast. Um, you know, tell us about yourself, and then you know, oh, who am I? You forget everything you've ever known in your entire life. Um, but but no, I think the Economist and I and I agree. Um, the Economist is also a great recommendation. Um, it, it's a great great resource. I know that I I look to the Economist for my international news, uh, and another I guess to plug in another uh, great read. Um, is a, a little while back, The Economist had a whole had a whole article on, you know, what if carbon reduction were were the new big oil, um, and I'm sure yeah. I'm uh, paraphrasing the title, but uh, can we can include that in like the show notes this week? But I, I highly recommend all of our all of our listeners uh, to check it out. Um, really, really fantastic, uh, really, really fantastic read. Um, yeah, I think that. One book that I did like was The Uninhabitable Earth by um, someone called David Wallace Welt. Um, it looks at 
this idea of the anthropogenic, you know, uh, period that we've moved into, um, and again, you know, the urgency of an environmental crisis, but sort of what happens if we just if we just retain the status quo, which is sort of effectively what we've done, or really do the minimum. And it's a bit, it's not again trying to scaremonger, but it, it, it's, I think sometimes putting things into a stark context is, is it, it can really, you know, shift you into, kick you into action. Um, alternatively, Storming the Wall by Todd Miller. Uh, I just had to rack my brain for a minute. And yeah, that's about uh, climate change, migration. It's on the US, but to answer, you know, going back to what, how can the US on the Eastern Seaboard, this sort of puts it into perspective. Um, and, you know, what might happen if we don't, take because uh, it talks about climate change refugees as well and, and displacement with, with many pacific island countries is, are facing as a genuine reality mm. and then things like how to give up plastic by uh, william mccallum uh that's quite in, that's again that's more of an individual bottom-up perspective instead of the overarching sort of country level how are we as individuals um and then i've got there's plenty of books on my website i think you can find which i recommend to read um and and yeah uh just, just always look around, you know, read the daily news. The Guardian is very good. BBC. Mm -hmm. um, all yeah. great. Those are all great recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> Shameless plug for the BBC. Um, I actually, no, I, watch, I watch Al Jazeera English. I find it's the most, like, I get such a global perspective. Every once in a while, yeah. I get see Medi uh, tear someone a new one. I, it's interesting. And I don't have to watch American politics of uh, four guys <laughs> all agreeing with each other or disagreeing with each other about whatever <laughs> Trump just tweeted that day. It's Honestly, it's, I think it's one of the major issues with climate change, like uh, this education piece is that people are constantly bombarded by nonsense. Like it's, there's so, it's just a sensationalism. It's isn't just, it? it's just an opinion. Like it's, I don't, it doesn't matter. Somebody who has a BA in journalism lecturing me about geopolitics, like it, whatever, <laughs> like, I don't need to hear it. Um, I am, um, there is one, uh, sorry to know, just uh, one final website I do really recommend actually. It's called The Conversation. Um, it started about 10 years ago, but it's really good because it's run by, academics but they do write it in a way that is quite accessible again you know it's not sort of in jargon and, and too technical it's um uh, and they've got different countries so you can go to a specific country region and look at the topic and then you can filter it by so that's really cool they've got some fantastic climate articles so they're going to you know what does the un 2015 sdgs really mean or what does it mean that pakistan is now met it you know how will that influence the region or something in it and it adds that degree of evidence-based scientific approach which is you know which you can trust and, and is actually informative so i highly recommend it the conversation perfect awesome yeah that's, yeah. A, that's a great recommendation um you know i see we're out of time peter but again we just want to thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the carbon-based podcast your insights were really fantastic uh and for our listeners we'll include a link to your to your blog and to your website uh in the show notes so definitely go check those out and as always uh, feel free to check out Carbon Base, uh, measure your carbon footprint, see what you can do to take individual action uh, on climate change. Um, and thank you again, Peter, and we hope to talk to you soon. Thank you so much, John and Elliot. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I thank you to everyone listening at home. Do your part to, uh, to improve the climate. 100%. Okay. Thanks for coming on. Talk soon. Bye-bye.